0: And then we'll have our candlelight service, sing some of those Christmas carols again, give testimonies, be thinking about. Maybe a testimony that you'd like to give this evening, maybe salvation testimony, uh, something that God's done for you this year, uh, something that you would just like to give praise to God about or uh, whatever it may be. It's a special time when we light these candles in a little while and do that. We'll sing the Christmas songs, and uh, that's coming up in just a minute. Mark chapter 2 is where we are. And we're going to just begin right there in Mark chapter 2 and verse 1, just as a very quick review, uh, through Mark chapter 1, we saw where Jesus uh, came, and he came in the various ways we saw, he came to, the, to his baptism and to his anointing, we saw Jesus begins to gather his disciples around him, and uh, he begins to preach repentance and believing the gospel, the kingdom of God is at hand in chapter 1. Uh, we saw that uh, Jesus ends up in Capernaum up in upper uh, israel we we won 't take the time to go back into all that tonight, but we saw we put the map on the screen and we saw the different sections of Israel and how that worked, and we saw Jesus doing some amazing things through mark chapter one, and again, Mark is just boom, 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 boom going right through the story of Christ very fast. Uh, it is believed that Peter is the mind behind uh, the Gospel of Mark, giving Mark the details of this Gospel, which makes sense in the way that it was written. In Mark chapter 2, we're going to pick it up tonight, just a story here that I hope will be a blessing to us and that God will use it. Before we begin reading, let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll read the passage. Lord, we just pray that your name will be high and lifted up tonight, that God, you'll use this passage of Scripture this evening. To Lord, as we talk about a familiar Gospel story, we pray, God, that you'll have our eyes opened, maybe to truth uh, that we haven't seen before, or maybe, Lord, just something that will cause us to just glorify your name as we go into this Christmas season, and help us to remember just who Jesus is and what he came for, what the Christmas story is all about. God, we thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ, and it's in his name we pray these things. Amen. Mark chapter 2, let's begin. Let's just read the story, and then we'll go back and talk about it tonight. Verse 1, And again, he entered into Capernaum. After some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. Of course, this is talking about Jesus. And straightway, many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press... They uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? Immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He says to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. In other words, never seen anything like this before. What a story that we've all heard many times. Now let's go back and and, and look at this story again and talk about a few things. Stay with me through it. I know that you know this story, and you've heard it, and I want to get to a certain point tonight, Lord willing, to bring out of this passage. But first of all, back in verse 1, again, after the Lord had been preaching in the synagogues throughout Galilee, He had, if you remember as we went through chapter 1, and and he he left Capernaum, it's sort of his base of operation, uh, up in Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee, he goes into uh, the other towns also. And he preaches this gospel and he presents himself and he opens up the scriptures. And, and by the way, when it says that he preaches the word unto them, remember that much if he's opening up the scriptures, it's the Old Testament. He is showing he didn't have the New Testament in that time. Right. He was the New Testament. He he's speaking the word of God, but he's showing from the prophecies. He's showing who he is. He's saying the same thing that he says over in chapter 1, verse 15. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel, the good news. This is the same message that he's preaching everywhere that he goes. But now he's back in Capernaum, back in the house of Simon, Peter and Andrew, where he was before. And word begins to spread as it says there in verse 1. And it was noised that he was in the house. So all of these people begin to come back to him. Um, straightway, it says in verse two, many are gathered from all parts of the city and they couldn't it got to where they, people couldn't even get near the door of the house. So many were coming to the house. Um, of course, they, they're listening to him preach, they're bringing the sick to him.'re bringing He's doing these great miracles and everybody wants to get to Jesus. Um, and so they, they hear that he's come. And they can't even get near the house. Jesus, it says there in verse 2, preached the word unto them, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. The time has come. The kingdom is at hand. Believe the good news. When in Nazareth, you remember that he opened the scripture. And he read, in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, we see that he read Isaiah, which said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And the Bible says that he closed the scroll at that point, and it got silent, all eyes were on him. And he said, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. In other words, he was presenting himself as the one who was prophesied to come. He came a light. We're going to be talking a lot tonight about light. He came the light into a dark world. The light of the world is Jesus. Verse 3, and they come unto him. Who's they? Well, we find out it's four men carrying a friend on a cot, on a bed, born of four. A man who is sick with A palsy. Now that word palsy, it means paralyticos, which means uh, paralytic. This man is paralyzed. He obviously had a sickness. He had some sort of a disease that caused him to be paralyzed and on a bed. Obviously, he cannot walk. How, How paralyzed is he? We don't know. But he's in bad shape, bad enough that four friends are carrying this man to Jesus, what a picture that is, isn't it? And I'm sure you've heard that before. What an application there that we can apply to our lives of friends working together to bring someone to Christ. People being the light of the world in a dark world to bring someone to Jesus Christ. Can you picture that in your mind? I don't have the slides up here tonight, but but picture four men. And they are working together, not for themselves, but to get a friend to Jesus Christ who has a a problem. And they believe, and they have faith. And the, the Bible tells us the Lord sees the faith of these men. I believe all five of these men, he sees their faith. Bringing this man to Jesus Christ. May that be our heart. May that be our spirit as we enter into 2019. To work together as a church. To work together as a family. To bring the light of the glorious good news of Jesus Christ to people around us, all the time. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine among men. Verse 4, when they could not come nigh unto him for the press. and that's not talking about Fox News or CNN. This is a different kind of press here, of course. This is a large crowd, a group, who have pressed together. I like that word. They can't get in to see Jesus. They want to get this man to Christ. Um, again, what a picture that this is and the effort that they go to uh, to bring him to Jesus. But what do they do? Well, you know the story. Every child in Sunday school knows the story. And you have the pictures in your mind now that you saw on the flannel graph board or whatever it was. They uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed where in the sick of the palsy lay. Wow. That's quite a picture, isn't it? Now, if somebody walked up on this roof tonight and started tearing shingles up <laughs> Drilling holes in the plaster, we might have to call the police or something, wouldn't we? I mean, that would be a little weird. Now, let me explain real quickly. Um, You have to understand why they would have even thought to do this, right? I mean, that's odd in our culture. (laughs) Why would you even think to go up on the roof? Well, remember that in this culture and in this time, the houses were built in such a way that the roof was sort of part of the living space of the house, uh, Jesus is obviously in an upper room in the house. Um, and one commentator I read believed that it's very possible he was looking out of a window. Uh There's a crowd just gathered all over the place, and he's preaching the word. He's preaching the word to the people in the house. He's preaching the word to the people out of the house. It's just a you can picture this in your mind. These guys want to get this man to Jesus. They can't get in the door. So likely on this house, there's a ladder or a stairway. And again, you've seen the pictures of these ancient Israel homes that they could carry this man up onto the roof. And there was usually a door in the roof where we have these today too in our attics. We walk up a ladder or set of stairs that comes down, open the door to get up into the attic. They would have had one of those onto the roof. And so they probably would have opened the door um, to get this man through. It was not big enough uh, to put him through. So the natural thing for them to do was begin to break it up. They probably uh, took the frame apart, removed some of the tiles around it, made it a wider opening, and then they let this man down to where Jesus was. Verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, that's important, the priority and the place that God puts on faith throughout the entire scriptures, faith, faith, faith. God wants us to believe Him. Amen? Amen? God wants us to believe Him. The Lord Jesus wants us to believe Him. When He saw their faith, He said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now, I want you to stop a minute think with me, because this is the last thing anybody was expecting Jesus to say. Right? Jesus begins to say some things here that were odd. And they were very odd to the people standing around him, even his disciples. Who would have thought Jesus was going to look at a man paralyzed and say, "Son, thy sins be forgiven thee." Thy sins be forgiven thee. Um take up thy bed and walk was quite a thing to say, but nothing like, "Son, thy sins be forgiven thee." He says this of course, we know that in a little time, he's going to die to pay the price for this man's sins. That's what he came to do. That's what Christmas is all about. Now, he says this, "Son, since sins be forgiven thee, in verse 6, says that when he says this, there's certain of the scribes sitting there, reasoning in their hearts. Now, the scribes always had the highest place in the houses, right? They're in the room with Jesus in the upper room, sitting there on the floor, very comfortable, listening to everything he says, watching everything he's doing, And you better believe when he said, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. What? Their ears perked up. And rightly so. Right? Wouldn't yours? What if a man was standing among you and looked at another man and told him that he forgave his sins? Well, you just don't say that unless you're able to forgive somebody else's sins. And that's only God who can do that. And that's exactly what they say. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there reasoning in their hearts. Verse 7, why does this man... Thus speak blasphemies. Who can forgive sins but God only? Well, that's a good and a just question, isn't it? Who can forgive sins but God only? Only God can pardon iniquity. Only God can forgive sins. But, of course, this was no blasphemy. They were in the presence of God Himself. They were in the presence of the Son of God. The God-man. Verse 8. Immediately, Jesus, when he perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, why reason you these things in your hearts? He perceives in his spirit what they're thinking, and then he tells them what they're thinking. At that point, you would have thought they would have been a little surprised. But we don't have any information on that. He tells them what they're thinking. And then in verse 9, he presents a question. What's easier to say? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise and take up thy bed and walk. So what is he saying here? Standing in front of that paralyzed man, what would have been easier to say? I forgive you of your sins or rise up and walk. Well, I could have stood there in front of that man and said, I forgive you of your sins. Was that going to take place if I said that? No, but I that would have been easier to say, right? Because you can't see a man being forgiven of his sins. But you can certainly see a man stand up who's been paralyzed and begin to walk. So that's what he's saying. While this would be the lesser miracle, this man getting up and walking, and then we have a hard time thinking of it that way, don't we? The lesser miracle, much, much lesser miracle, would have been for this man to be able to get up and walk. It would be the harder thing to say, though, because there would have to be proof. Verse 10, But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to what? Forgive sin. He saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy bed and go thy way into thy house. He tells the paralyzed man to take up his bed, go to his house. And what happens in verse 12? Immediately he arose, took up the bed, went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed glorified God, saying, We have never seen anything like this before. What a miracle in front of them. But don't miss it. The great miracle here was not that the man was walking, although that's a great miracle. The great miracle is Jesus just proved that he can tell people that he forgives them of their sins, that Jesus can forgive sin. That's what Christmas is all about. That's why he came. And that's why in verse 10, we're going to spend a couple minutes on verse 10 and then we'll be done. I want to point something out to you tonight that I hope will be a blessing to you. In verse 10, he says, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sin. Now let me explain this first of all. Here's another statement by Jesus that would have been a little odd. He begins to call himself the Son of Man. Now, he has not, this has not been recorded for us yet in the Gospel until this point. Mark is the first Gospel. So this is the first time it's ever been recorded that Jesus called himself in the Gospels The son of man, which simply means human. So here Jesus has just said, be forgiven of your sin to a man. And then he turns around and he says, calls himself the son of a human. We don't see that, do we? Because we're so familiar with these things. The son of a human. What's the big deal about that? We're all sons of humans. We're all sons of men. Oh, but wait a minute. With him, it's a really, really big deal because he's God and god became a man and when did god become a man bethlehem bethlehem jesus is saying something when he says that he is the son of man okay that's the most fa- the, the, his favorite thing to call himself throughout all the gospels son of man has come the son of man has come the son of man the son of man why did he like this phrase so much because he came to be a human he came to be the son of men at Bethlehem, so that he could be the ultimate sacrifice. Now, if the Jews knew their scriptures, knew their Old Testament, they would have seen something that other people would not have seen. And I'm afraid many Christians today don't see it. What did the son of man have to do? Why was Jesus calling himself that? Well, first of all, we understand that he is the son of God and he is the son of man. Now, it's true that the son of man points to his humanity. The son of God points to his deity. Is Jesus God? Yes, he is. Fully, completely, 100% son of God from eternity past to eternity future. Is he human? Yes, 100% completely human. Just as human as you are, just as human as I am. Son of God shows his deity. Son of man shows his humanity. And that's what he was publicly showing. His humanity as the son of man. Now, If they knew their scriptures, by the way, C.S. Lewis said, I love this phrase, the Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. The Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. But those in the Jewish audience who had ears to hear or understand would have understood this. Let me just quote this to you and then we'll turn to a passage. Psalm 80, verse 17. Where do we find this phrase, the Son of Man? Is it anywhere in the Old Testament? Oh, well, first of all, it's in a lot of places when the Bible's, when God is speaking to prophets. Uh, very often to Ezekiel, to Daniel, God would say, oh, son of man, write this down. You remember those passages? Oh, son of man, uh, uh, take this into account. Son of man, hear this. So that's, you, you see that quite a bit, but there are two spots in the Old Testament where it's referring to Messiah. Coming Messiah. The first one is Psalm chapter eighty, verse seventeen. Let me read it to you: "Let thy hand be upon the man of thy right hand, upon the son of man, whom thou madest strong for thyself, the son of man." That's the first one. Number two, turn to Daniel chapter seven. Daniel chapter seven. We have a an amazing account here, a vision. A dream, whatever you want to call it, that God gave to Daniel about a prophetic dream about the future. And, of course, we don't have time to read this whole thing, but let me point out a couple of verses to you in Daniel chapter 7. Now, stay with me. Keep the story of the paralytic in mind and all of that, because he's just told this man, your sins be forgiven. Wow, what a thing to say. Who does he think he is? Well, he's the son of man. What does that mean? Verse 9 of chapter 7, I beheld till the thrones were cast down and the ancient of days did sit whose garment was white as snow and the hair of his head like the pure wool. Daniel's seeing this. His throne was like the fiery flame. And his wheels as burning fire and a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousands, thousands ministered unto him. And 10,000 times 10,000 stood before the Ancient of Days. This is God. Daniel seeing a picture of God Almighty on his throne. With thousands upon thousands upon thousands ministering to him, worshiping him, bowing before him. And the judgment was set and the books were open. Now skip down to verse 13. Verse 13, And I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like who? The Son of Man. What a thing to say. One like a human. One like the Son born to mankind. One like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought Him near before Him. And there was given Him dominion and glory and a kingdom, That all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. If they knew their Old Testament scriptures, when Jesus looked at them and said, The Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, they should have known exactly what he was referring to. And many of them probably did. He was saying, I am the Messiah. I'm the one who Daniel had a vision about. I'm the one who he saw come before the ancient of days to receive power and dominion in a kingdom. When Jesus used the term son of man, he was saying something. He was saying something. And he was, to those who had ears to hear and eyes to see, he was saying that he is highly exalted. It's a term of humility, but at the same time, It's a term of high exaltation because of what God had revealed in the Old Testament. Highly exalted, not just a human figure. When he said things like the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He was saying the Messiah had come, but it wasn't as they had expected. He was claiming to be Messiah. Jesus was the servant Son of God, as our series says But from the start, He was claiming to be the King and highly exalted Son of Man in Daniel 7. He was showing through the miracles, He was the Son of Man who had been born to die for the sins of His people, then rise again, defeating sin, defeating death, defeating Satan. He was saying, He is the promised Messiah who had come. Now, one more passage and we're done. Turn to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, so in the Old Testament they would have understood this. You and I can go to Revelation and see another man with another vision. This isn't Daniel this time, this is John. John is seeing a vision. What does he see? Revelation chapter 1 beginning with verse 12. And I love this because we're going to have a candlelight service. Revelation chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. Very similar to what we saw in Daniel chapter 7. And I turned to see the voice. Verse 12. I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden what? Candlesticks. Now what is that? We'll talk about it. In, you'll read it in a second. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto who? Son of man. One like unto the son of man. here he is again with that same title clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the pats with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool. Doesn't that sound like Daniel 7? As white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like undefined brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. He's the light of the world. And when I saw him... As every man does, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. Who is this? Look at verse 18. I am he that liveth. That's the birth. That's Bethlehem. I am he that liveth and was dead. That's the cross. And behold, I am alive forevermore. That's the resurrection. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. Now, here John tells us what this means. And the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. What are the seven candlesticks? The seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven what? Churches. 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 Who's supposed to be the light of this world shining like a candlestick in a dark world? the churches of the Lord Jesus Christ are. The churches are. Jesus is the light of the world who came. And he. in a minute we'll light one candle. And then we'll begin to spread that light throughout throughout the room. The candles represent our lives as lights in this world. The candlesticks here represent the churches. The phrase Son of Man appears in this place. Jesus is referring to himself and John is seeing Jesus as the Son of Man. Jesus is present in. Now, verse chapter 2 and verse 1, it says he's walking in the midst of the seven candlesticks. Understand, this is picturing something, right? This is all picturing something. Jesus Christ, where is he today? What is he doing? He's walking in the midst of the golden candlesticks. Who are the candlesticks again? It's the churches. Now, we're talking about seven literal churches here, but I believe this applies to all the churches throughout all of church history. Jesus is amongst us. He's walking amongst the churches today. In the book of Acts, did we not see that the book of Acts is is really not the Acts of the Apostles as much as it's the Acts of Jesus Christ. It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ working through his church to do his work in this world. We are the body of Jesus Christ in the world today. Christmas is all about the light coming. And then the church carrying that light into all the world. Jesus is the light of the world. We, the church, are His body, lights in the world. Jesus is our intercessor. You see in this passage right here that Jesus is dressed in a long garb. Basically, in in a nutshell, He's a priest. That's what we see Him here dressed as. In these garments, He's dressed as the priest in the temple. That's what the candlesticks are about. What does that mean? You know, the high priest... One of the jobs of the the priests every day was to keep those candlesticks burning. Keep them burning. Keep them burning bright. Keep them burning clear. That was part of the job of those priests. It's Jesus Christ who keeps His church burning. Who keeps the light going forth into all the world. Son of Man is also used in the Old Testament when speaking of the prophets. Oh, Son of Man, oh, Son of Man, Jesus Christ is our great prophet. Son of Man, that phrase is used In Revelation, as we see right here, as the great high priest. Jesus is our high priest. Son of man is used in Daniel as the one who is presented before the ancient of days and given a throne and dominion and a kingdom that will never end. He is our great high king of kings for all of eternity. Let me tell you something. The phrase son of man, when he looked at that paralytic in that little room where they had lowered him in, And he looked down at that paralytic and he said, your sins be forgiven you. They had no idea who they were looking at and what they were observing. And when he said, the son of man has power on earth to forgive sins, they had no idea what they were standing in front of, what they were looking at. When we go to Daniel, when we go to Revelation, we see Jesus for who he really is. That term son of man meant something. It meant something big. It means something today. Aren't you glad... That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was born in a little manger (laughs) to a little peasant couple, to a little girl, probably 14 or 15 years old. And the Son of God became the Son of Man so that He could go to that cross, the light of the world, shed His blood for your sins and for mine. Isn't it amazing that now He wants us To be lights in this world as sons of men who have become sons of God. To go into this world and spread the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. He showed through a paralytic that he had power on earth to forgive sins. And that's our number one problem. Sin. He is the light of his, of the church, of the world. We, his church, are the light of this world in our day. Light has sprung up. And things have never been the same. Things have never been the same. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for the light of the world. We thank You for Jesus. We thank You for the Son of Man. Lord, what a phrase. What a name when Jesus says it. Thank You, God, for the incarnation of Jesus Christ. God, help us as we go into Christmas Every time we see a manger, every time we see a nativity scene, God, help us to see the Son of Man and why He came. He came for a paralytic to help him walk again, but more than that, He came to save him from his sins. And He came for that reason for me. Lord, help us, God, to take this glorious gospel, this victorious gospel, out into all the world. God, help us to truly be a light for You for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, thank You for this good news. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.